Wow, wow. Hope 253 was an incredible night. 144 churches from across the 253 area code came together to make that happen. And at the end of the night, we saw more than 350 people say yes to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Many of you were a part of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you prayed, if you served, if you invited, if you came, thank you for being a part of this, this amazing act of, of God in the, in the midst of our community. You know, we participated in Hope 253 because we are all about seeing people say yes to Jesus. When Jesus says, follow me, we want to see people say yes to him. And that's why I'm excited to let you know, I got word this week that next March, I'm going to be taking a team down to UC Berkeley to work with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, just like we've done at ASU and PSU in the past. We're going to be reaching out to students on that campus because we want to see them say yes to the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. That's our heart. If you want to be a part of that, send me an email. Let me know. We're going to be building the team in the next few weeks. And uh, that team will be going through that God Space class in the fall. That'll be the training for that. And really excited about that. So send me an email. I'll let you know about the, the application. We're, we're all about seeing people say yes when Jesus says, follow me. And this morning, we're going to meet a young man named Levi who said yes to Jesus when Jesus said, follow me. Now, you might know Levi by a different name. Levi was also known by the name Matthew, and this is the Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. But this morning's story about Levi comes from the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got a Bible or you want to pull your phone out and look up Luke chapter 5, then you can follow along with me. Where we are is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's been moving around the region of Galilee. He's been preaching. He's been healing. He started to develop some fame and a a renown in that region. And then he comes along and he has this interaction with this young man, Levi. As you you read this story, as you listen to this story, I want you to ask yourself a question. Who do I relate to more in this story? Do I relate more to Levi or do I relate more to the Pharisees? And all will become clear later as to why I asked that question. So here it is. Luke 5, we're in verse 27. And we're going to read a few verses here. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. By your spirit, would you bring these, these words to life? And God, I pray that you would help us to put them into action in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. I didn't introduce myself for those of you who don't know me. My name's Pastor Ellis, and uh, I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, here at Chapel Hill. I want to ask you a, a question. When you, what's, what's the one word, and you can shout out your answers, what's the one word that comes to your mind when I say the word Pharisee? Shout them out. Judgmental Pastor Mark over here. It's a good thing that guy's still on vacation, isn't it? Well, there was something over here. Hypocritical. Anything else? Religious. Judgmental. Do you know what's really sad? Okay? These words that come to our minds when we hear the word Pharisee, Research tells us that for young people in the U.S. outside of the church, those same words come to their minds when they hear the word Christian. This is the Barna Research Group did did a study, and they found that young non-Christians in the U.S. view Christians as hypocritical, uncaring, anti-homosexual, sheltered, too political, and judgmental. And that makes me really sad. That's not the church I've experienced. That's not the church I'm a part of. But it's the perception of the church beyond these walls. And that has implications for us and and for our culture. It means that, that we don't live in a society anymore where people just come to church because it's what you do. There are not people waking up in the city of Gig Harbor this weekend and turning to the person next to them and going, Huh, what are we going to do this weekend? I don't know. You know what I'm thinking? Maybe we we could go to church. I've always wanted to hang out with a bunch of hypocritical, judgmental people. (laughs) You know what? That's a great idea. Let's go spend an hour with those guys. Wouldn't it be a kick? This is not the conversation that is happening in people's homes. This means that people don't just show up at our doors anymore ready to listen how I wish they would, because we have a message of hope. We have a life-changing, life-altering, incredible message about the person of Jesus Christ, who has the, the power to heal all of people's sicknesses and, and diseases and infirmities, who has the ability to give people hope when they are hopeless, and can give you And can give them the greatest sense of purpose that they have ever experienced. We have ever experienced in our life. That's the message we have. But the reality is that people don't just show up at our doors anymore to come and listen. And that means we have to shift how we think about this whole idea of of sharing this good news. No longer can we say, come and see. Because people don't come. Instead, as a church, we have to go and be. We have to go beyond these walls. We have to get outside and be the church. Bring that message of hope and good news to the people who are out there who need it so desperately. That's why we've been talking about get outside all month here at Chapel Hill. No longer can we be church pew caretakers waiting for people to show up? We've been called to be history makers, to go beyond these walls and make disciples. Levi was a history maker. 
Levi went on to make history. He wrote a gospel that's been read for 2,000 years by people and has brought many, many people to know the person of Jesus. I had a friend who read Matthew's gospel last summer and he came to know Jesus through it. Levi made history, but he didn't start out by making history. He started out as a tax collector. Now, even today, we view tax collectors with certain suspicion. I'm sorry if we have any in the room. But back then, they were viewed with an even lower view than we have today. They were despised. They were seen as snoops. They, they were looked at as corrupt. One commentator I was reading said that they were the social equivalent of pimps and informants. Okay, these guys were not people you wanted to hang out with. And here along comes Jesus to Levi, sitting in his tax collector booth. This Jesus who everyone's heard about in these villages around Galilee, who's going around healing people, preaching about the kingdom of God coming. And Jesus says to this Levi, this tax collector who's despised, follow me. I want you, Levi, because my message of good news is for everyone. Everyone. And Levi leaves everything behind. And follows Jesus. Well, actually, he doesn't quite leave everything behind, as we find out in the next verse. He doesn't leave behind his friends. You know, sometimes when when people come to follow Jesus, they get this impression that uh, they have to leave all their their friendships that they had in in their life before Jesus behind, because those are bad people. And, And as a Christian, you don't hang out with bad people. You hang out with good people. That's what all the other Christians do. So that's what I need to do. Okay? But Levi doesn't do that. Levi does something which is actually pretty cool. He gets all of those people who he knew before he met Jesus together, and he gets all of these new people, the disciples that he's come to know, and he hosts a big party in his house. And he invites Jesus to come along too. And they feast together around the table. Now, sadly, it seems like the Pharisees didn't get an invite to this party. They didn't get an invite to lots of parties. I'm sure you have people in your life like that who you don't like to invite to parties, but maybe you feel like you have to. But they didn't get invited. And they came and they confronted the disciples because they heard about this all-night rager that Levi had thrown. And they come and they confront the disciples with a question. It says in verse 30, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Do you know what's really interesting here? In the previous verse, Luke has described, Luke who's writing this book, this gospel, he's described who it is who came to the party and he calls them tax collectors and others. But when the Pharisees come along, they call them tax collectors and sinners. For the Pharisees, they understood something very important about this shared meal around a table. In Mediterranean culture back then and still today, when you share a meal with someone, you share life with them. It symbolizes intimacy. It symbolizes kinship. It symbolizes unity with those people. And as far as the Pharisees were concerned, no righteous people should ever have kinship with sinners. No righteous people should ever be intimate in that way with sinners. And they saw the disciples as righteous, and they saw those other people invited to the party as sinners. And so they confronted 
the disciples. For the Pharisees, the righteous were the ones who should be on the inside. And the sinners are the ones who are on the outside. They judged those people. People who perhaps they'd never met. They didn't know. Sinners. If I'm really honest, I very often do the same thing. I love my neighbors. I love my neighbors, but I'm not like them. They're American. (laughs) Thanks. They're not just American. They smoke. They have drinking problems. They cuss. They're married to people of the same gender. They're not married, but living with someone of the opposite gender. And if I'm really honest with you, and I'm, I'm, I'm being quite transparent here, sometimes I find myself thinking something like, God, I'm glad you didn't make me like them. That's horrible. That's disgusting. That's, that's the state of my heart. That's the condition of my heart. Deep down, I'm just like those Pharisees. Thank you, God, for making me righteous, not making me like those sinners out there. I've judged these people before I've known them. And just like the Pharisees, I've got my categories all wrong, all messed up. And Jesus corrects the Pharisees. We read verses 31, 32, Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says he's come to call sinners. But didn't Jesus call you? And didn't Jesus call me? And yet we're on the inside. So what does that make us? Sinners. And I have a hard time, again, being honest with you, I have a hard time believing deep down that I'm a sinner. Last summer, I was at a worship event here in in the harbor. And I was taking a moment, I was praying. And it was like God picked up this mirror and put it in front of me and showed me the depth of my own sin. He confronted me with the reality that the way I had been living, the way I had been thinking was that if I could overcome these two sinful behavior patterns, then I would be free from sin. I wouldn't be a sinner anymore. And he confronted me with the reality of of how self-reliant I was, how I was trying to make myself righteous. And he confronted me with the reality that my sin went far beyond those two things that I thought were an issue. The reality is that I cannot make myself righteous. You cannot make yourself righteous. No one can make themselves righteous. Righteousness only comes through a relationship. A relationship with the only one who ever was righteous. Jesus Christ. Pride and prejudice. They are two very powerful things. 
And the reality is that we will never be disciples that make history until we deal with pride and prejudice in our own lives. Until we allow God to transform our proud hearts and to see ourselves as we truly are, just like everyone else. Sinners in need of a saviour. And only when we have dealt with our own pride, our own lofty view of who we are, are we then enabled to love other people and to lay aside any judgments that we may have made about them and to view them and see them as Jesus sees them. People made in the image of God. People who are valuable, who are worth something. When we lay aside our pride and our prejudice, I believe we might have a hope at making disciples who make history. This week I heard the story of a man called Daryl Davis. Daryl is a 58-year-old musician. He is a Jesus follower. And he is a black man who for 30 years has made friends with leaders in the Ku Klux Klan. Daryl goes around, meets with these men, sits with them, sometimes shares a meal with them, asks them questions, and listens to them. Daryl says, when you are actively learning about someone else, they are passively learning about you. And some amazing things have happened through these relationships, through these conversations. One by one, these men have come to Daryl, and they've said to him, I'm done. I don't believe this anymore. I can't be a part of this. And symbolically, they have handed to him their robes and their hoods. He now has a closet full of robes and hoods from members of the Ku Klux Klan. He claims to have single-handedly wiped out the Ku Klux Klan in the state of Maryland through these relationships. Now, he's been confronted by people on his own side who have chewed him up and spit him out. One guy came to him and said, I can't believe what you're doing. We've taken ten steps forward, and here you are sitting down to dinner with the enemy and taking twenty steps back. And he says to those people, here's what I've done to put a dent in racism. And he shows them the hoods and and the robes. He says, here's what I've done by sitting down to dinner with them, by having a conversation with them. What have you done? What have you done? You know, Daryl and Levi recognized the same thing. When we lay aside our own pride, our own lofty view of who we are, when we lay aside our prejudice, our view of who other people are, and we sit down together with them and have a meal, powerful things happen. Powerful things happen around the dinner table when we're willing to lay aside our pride and our prejudice. You know, a shared meal is powerful, but it's also dangerous. Sometimes we find it difficult to invite people, certain people especially, into our homes to to share a meal with them. Because a shared meal still means a shared life in our culture. When someone comes into your home, there's the risk of you being exposed, me being exposed, 
for who we really are. You know, you can put up a front out there when you're outside your home. You can create an image of yourself, but when people come into your home, they see your dirt. They see your mess. They see your kids having a tantrum because you cut up their chicken. My wife Rachel and I, since the beginning of this year, we've made it a goal to at least twice a month have different families over for dinner. We've had families in the church, we've had families outside the church. It's been really stressful because we've felt this great weight of expectation upon us that it has to be clean and tidy, that the the food has to be extravagant, that the conversation has to be incredible, that the kids have to be well-behaved. Because we're afraid of people seeing us as we really are. We're afraid of people seeing our mess and our dirt. But the reality is that a pastor is just like everyone else. A pastor... (laughs) Amen to that. A pastor doesn't have a perfect marriage, just like you guys don't have perfect marriages. A pastor doesn't have a clean and tidy home, just like you guys don't have clean and tidy homes. A pastor doesn't have well-behaved kids, just like you guys don't have well-behaved kids. (laughs) And we've had some powerful moments around the dinner table. We've had moments that have gone on to develop relationships with people that, that have had powerful consequences. And I believe that When we invite people into our home, when we expose who we really are, when we invite them to sit around a table with us and share a meal, that Jesus shows up. That Jesus shows up in those places. And he does great things. Church, there is a whole world out there of people who need to know the good news. The good news about the hope of the world about Jesus Christ. And God wants to use us to bring that good news to them. But so often we get in the way. Our pride, our prejudice, the image we've built up of ourselves that we don't want to let other people see is fake, the image we've built up of other people that we don't want to believe isn't real, it gets in the way. And maybe today we need to come and we need to repent. We need to say sorry to God for our pride. We need to say sorry to God for the way we've judged others. But my prayer is that it would go beyond repentance. My prayer is that today God would birth in us a love for the other, a love for the person who is not like us, a love for the person who we might be afraid of, and that that love might enable us to see them as Jesus sees them, not as a sinner like the Pharisees saw them, but just as an other, a person made in the image of God, someone who God has called us to love. And that that love for them, my hope that that might spur us on to share a meal with someone who we might have prejudged. We have 90 meals a month, 90 meals a month. Perhaps you could share a couple of them with people who aren't like you. Invite them into your home. Welcome them. Expose yourself to them. Strip away your own pride. 
and get rid of your own prejudice. Sit, listen to them, talk to them, ask them questions. Show them that you love them, that you care about them. And I believe that when we do that, Jesus will show up at the dinner table. Whether you invite him or not, he will show up and he will do something in those relationships. There was a famous pastor in uh, Sri Lanka. It wasn't called Sri Lanka when he pastored there, but modern-day Sri Lanka, called D.T. Niles. He said this, Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Jesus is the bread of life. And we are beggars who can invite other beggars to come sit and feast around our table on the bread of life. May we be the church that does that. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we confess we have been proud. We have viewed ourselves as as better than others. And we are sorry. And God, we confess that we have viewed others in a way that you do not see them. That we have judged them. That we have been prejudiced against them. Lord, we are sorry. And we ask that you would birth in us a love for the other. A love for the person who is not like us. A love for our neighbor. A love for our co-worker. A love for our, our family member, God, who is not like us. And God, I pray that that you may use us, that you may be at work, that you may show up at dinner tables all around this community and that you may do powerful things in our relationships with others as we lay aside our pride and prejudice and seek to love them and get to know them and share a meal with them. God, we ask that you would make us a church that goes beyond these walls that brings the hope of the world out to people who desperately need it. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.